the imposter syndrome is something that I think you know a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs like suffer from, isn't it? You always compare yourself to others and that am I the right person to lead this business or do this job? Um, and that's a good thing. I think that so as long as it doesn't chew you up, that's quite healthy. Healthy paranoia is what you need in business, I think, to be successful. But the key is like underlying confidence, I think, and giving that to the team, feeling that yourself, which is quite hard at times because mm. it's not like a straight line journey, is it, to the top? This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor, and every week my co-founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Thanks for joining us here at The Summit today. Uh, we at Fearless Adventures are talking to some really inspiring individuals and entrepreneurs about their journey to their own summit. Today we're joined by Richard, the CEO of Peak, and his journey of creating a data AI business. Thanks for joining us today, Richard. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. One of the things I find most fascinating with Peak and where you guys now are on your journey is like you're almost reached base camp and you're now in that kind of gear up stage for the, the kind of the big climb. How are you kind of preparing yourself for that, but also the company? All the work to this point has been getting here. And now we've got, we've got an amazing opportunity. Uh, we think we've got a huge market opportunity in the most exciting space in tech to win. But we're right at the, we're right at the foothills of that journey, like you say. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? Gearing the team up and gearing yourself up, two different things. Um, we're kind of united by the fact that none of us have done it. But like, I've never done it. Uh, the team haven't done it. So a lot of it is about helping and, you know, giving the team confidence that we've got here, we've figured it out, we can figure it out again. <laughs> and, then, and then having that confidence yourself, you didn't know what you were doing when you started the business. So if you feel like that still, that's okay. You can still figure it out. <laughs> so I think that's pretty much it. And yeah. uh, the imposter syndrome is something that I think, you know, a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs like suffer from, isn't it? You, 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 you always compare yourself to others and that. Am I, you know, am I the right person to lead this business or do this job? Um, and that's a good thing. I think that so as long as it doesn't chew you up, that's quite healthy. Um, healthy paranoia is what you need in business, I think, to be successful. But the key is like underlying confidence, I think, and giving that to the team and feeling that yourself, which is quite hard at times because mm. it's not like a straight line journey, is it, to the top? No. Have you found yourself faking that confidence a little bit? Well, that's an interesting one, yeah, because one of our key values is openness and sort of transparent. We're a very transparent company at Peak, you know, so we don't try to, we don't bluster or bluff or anything like that. So I would say no, wouldn't necessarily fake it if I said, I would say to the team, if I didn't think I knew how we were going to do something, but I would also say, like, I think we can figure it out. Um, But I do think you have to pick and choose your moments with that sort of openness. When the company gets bigger, the team are looking to a leader to lead right and mm-hmm. leadership situational sometimes complete transparency and openness is 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 important like when covid hit um but i think if you were if you were totally open and transparent with all your thoughts as a ceo to a company as big as peak is now that would probably be counterproductive so keeping a level of what's right to share what doesn't need to be shared what only needs shared with like say exec team mm-hmm. that's that's the skill of the job i think so mm-hmm. um so yeah i would never I would never say some. I would never be inauthentic or say say something I didn't feel. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate always to share absolutely everything with the team for for that reason. You know, give them a stable operating environment just to be great at what they do, which mm. you know involves the right level of information. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
We speak to a lot of entrepreneurs that come on our podcast and they talk about founder fatigue and mm. you know, five, six, seven years into a mission, you know, yeah. and you're really trying to grow. And as we said before, it's tough, but it's a roller coaster of a ride. Yeah. Feels like you're now at a place where you're starting this next chapter of growth. Yep. Um, a lot of people kind of bow out at that point. You know, they go, okay, I've built this amazing, you know, foundation uh, yeah. and they sell the company, you know, they move on and they need that ability to kind of do the next thing. You're in now for the next ride. How do you know you're ready and, and have you got the energy and like how, how are you looking after yourself to make sure that you're ready for that next chapter now? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one that because I suppose it depends on what motivates you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, for me, I'm just curious about business and how business works. You know, like I did a business degree at university and then I've done a variety of jobs that have always been commercial and um, business growth orientated, like through different tech companies, investment banking uh, before setting up Peak. Um, so I'm more interested in building like the best like, I'm interested in the domain peak specifically our software helps other companies do things like be better perform better do better you know do better as company so the question is more one of like energy it is tiring yeah um, the last couple of years have been incredibly tough for like everyone uh, I think growing a business in that time's pretty draining too so it's a question of have you got the energy to keep going and what motivates and for me like I I love what we do uh, and I love helping our customers um, with, you know, with our software. That's that's the primary motivator. And I love building the company. If that ever wasn't the case, then, you know, that would then then it wouldn't be the right thing to carry on doing. And I'm pretty competitive. That's the other thing. Like when you hit your growth milestones or your your sort of goals, you often like I do anyway, look to the next ones and think, well, would be that like, let's do that one then. Um, And that's sort of just just the sort of. The element of being like hitting those goals year on year is is quite motivating to me. So I don't lose that energy. So what's it like building, you know, this tech business in Manchester? Talk us through. You know, uh, it's been fun, that. you know, because yeah. I think part of the motivator from the start was we we knew what we wanted to do, uh, and we knew the sort of business we wanted to be. You know, we defined our culture uh, early on. The space we were in was is one, you know, in sort of data and AI is going to be one that like if we're successful you can build a software super giant in this space. You can build like a sales force of AI. So most of those companies are going to come from the US uh, and a lot of British businesses get to like a critical point and then we'll sell to the bigger US counterpart. And um, and we just thought we didn't start to make money. We started peak for other reasons. So like, let's just, why can't we build a business that wins this space from Manchester? And actually interesting, there's three co-founders, Dave, myself, Atul, and Atul's from Jaipur. So we kind of feel like we're co-founded between Manchester and Jaipur, which are two like north or west sort of challenger locations. So we've got this sort of challenger mentality in our DNA, which is like, why can't you? Mm. Um, but I think when we started, there weren't as many businesses up here getting funding, venture backing and so on and so forth. And a lot of the chat in the ecosystem was like, how do you get money for a startup in Manchester if all the money's in, Man- in London? And, you know, to which I would always say, well, like, go to London, it's only two hours on the train, uh, as expensive as the train is. Um, And I think that now there's more money in the region and more people, like Zoom has been a good leveler, right? The pandemic in a way is like Mm -hmm. people people raise money over Zoom. You don't have to go and visit every investor, certainly not when you're doing your initial pitches face-to-face. And you used to have to do that. So it used to be quite draining going down to London all the time for investor meetings pretending you just were in town uh, <laughs> going down, like getting a 6am train or whatever that sort of thing yeah I can do breakfast yeah, like, I can do, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally do breakfast yeah. Yeah, I was down anyway the night before yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that sort of stuff you know? yeah you don't have to do that anymore so that's good 
What were the moments on this kind of adventure that you've taken uh, on the way to the summit that you knew kind of we've got onto something here? We, what were those kind of proof points and how did that feel? There's been a few over the years, yeah, yeah. obviously. You know, um, when we started out, our idea was uh, more straightforward. It was like companies are using data to perform better, but not many companies. And it seems so obvious. Why is that? Like, So we were kind of exploring that like problem space and then looking for a product that could help us like like that could be like build a scalable sort of SaaS business essentially like we are now uh but the three of us just like jumped in and started doing consultancy work for like we were doing we were working at morrison's at the time uh, astrazeneca the economist we were doing some quite interesting like big global like data and analytics projects and that led atal and i to have this product idea i think that was moment number one we really thought right this product would solve all, a lot of these issues that we're seeing in like bigger companies. If we can build that product, that could be a thing. But obviously, you don't know. That's like we're into seed funding stage, so that was like sort of idea generation, and then getting the seed funding in allowed us to like build a first version of this platform, get it in the hands of as many. Uh, I noticed you've got a lean startup over there. Do you? <laughs> I spotted that. Uh, we read that, and that advocates quite heavily for like getting like a diverse set of like pilot customers almost like early on uh, and making them varied and learning from them and like iterate almost like writing a business model canvas down and yeah. like knocking off all the hypotheses so we did that and i think the biggest learning the big the, the first big validation was you know we thought right what could you use a platform like this for you could use it for like traditional data processing you could use it for analytics you could use it for and one of our quite far-fetched ideas was you could use it for machine learning and you could like start to help companies automate complicated decision-making and use AI really for that. So we got one of our pilot customers in that space and they were the ones who were the happiest, most successful, really? like, getting the most value out of it. So then we tried to get more of those. And as we did that, we were finding that the sort of less traditional, or some more traditional sort of analytics, business intelligence use cases were less successful and less exciting to people than the, AI and machine learning use cases that they were running on the platform. Did the, ones, did the AI ones have to do less work? Yes and no. So yes, like to actually implement sometimes. Like some of those applications were automating decision making and outputs mm-hmm. in a way that like doesn't then require this sort of interpretation of data mm-hmm. and reporting and dashboards and stuff, which I think is like a bit of a uh, the elephant in the room of analytics. Like yeah. lots of companies don't use analytics because it depends on the person reading the data even being there to log into the dashboard to do it or whatever. So if you can find those things that where anal- like analytical systems like AI platforms can help automate some of those decision-making flows and like outputs for people, that ha- helps a lot of business teams do stuff that they're not naturally inclined to do. So they're using the outputs to do great stuff rather than generating the outputs, yep. like generating the idea off the back of the data. So it's that sort of more like prescriptive uh, output from an analytics platform that was re- re- was really the unlock. So yeah, they have to do less because they can plug that in, but no, they have to do more because then the machine's telling them to do yep. more. So like the app, the business teams become like more action orientated and have to relearn sometimes how to do their job, yep. um, which is quite exciting. So there's a there's a there's a balance there. But you almost you almost jumped a step, didn't you? Because like you're saying, if the businesses weren't using data in the first place, yeah. well, they didn't have anyone to analyze the data. Mm. So therefore, you took the step of exactly. Back to the data, analyze the data, and making decisions for them. Yeah. So they just then 
went ahead. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a doing thing. Yeah, well, I think, I think it is, it's a really interesting thought because, and you look at it, why, why, why don't companies use data more to perform better? And it is simply like there's a huge, the huge variable in that yeah. is the people and you're, and and how data literate you are. Everyone's biases like go into like how much of an issue someone sees something as. Some people like really extreme, like a number goes slightly off and they're all, uh, very hysterical. Other people like super chilled out. Some people just don't log in and do that stuff and just go with the flow yeah. and do what they're told. But if you can build systems that are like sort of giving prescriptive outputs and then it helps those business teams just perform better, then that gets a lot of positive sentiment around a data and AI project. And I, th- and I think that, that that was the big unlock. So we actually, originally, we were peak BI. That was when we started. Like, that, was our, <laughs> that was our old domain. That's, that was the, the company name and everything. And then I think that big... Like probably the biggest standout, Yuri, because that was the original question. Like that moment of like, hmm, we should be an AI company because that's the thing that's that's moving the needle. And and I, that was the biggest validation. And then actually from that point onwards, it's been fairly sort of exponential growth for us. That's the first kind of like yeah. moment. What, what you know, 20, 20 people you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Suddenly there's that again, things to lose. I guess on that kind of. Is there another moment where you think, you know, yes, we validated that? The other hypothesis we had was that folks would pay a subscription for it, like, which sounds daft, obviously, because we're used to, like, being in tech, you're used to SaaS subscriptions and stuff like, but still, like, most of our customers weren't at that point in time, because that's sort of five, six years ago, like, um, consumption-based software, uh, and then consumption-based software for something that you've never done before. So we sort of had this theory that people would pay less per month and like be comfortable like having a like a long-term subscription to an ai platform to enable this sort of stuff and so the the first big enterprise customer we had or sort of putsy listed business uh, that we had as a customer their first renewal date that was a big one for us like the the passing that sort of um passing that 12 first year, six months 12 months 12 it was months. passing that 12 month period uh, and actually funnily enough because their contract had like a step up in it as well. Uh, but I can't tell you who it is now because uh, I told you the contract. These were like, yeah. it was cheaper to start with and it was their idea. It was like, well, if this is creating value for us in a year's time, we'll pay you more. And I was like, that's quite good logic, actually. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. Okay, we'll do that. So not, not only did we have to prove that the software would work, it, they then had to like pay twice yeah. as much for it. Yeah. And then I suppose there's been times along the way. Oh, you, you often think, don't you, as, like, in terms of funding rounds, I think as a, you know, as CEO founder in a venture-backed business, the funding rounds are like validation of mm-hmm. everything you've done to date to yeah. create something that's worth more than the last time you went and yeah. raised money. And then like the, also the future vision is something that people buy into. So you, I've ended up thinking a little bit like that happened when we moved into that office, Neo in Manchester, that felt like a moment because that was post Series A, and we were like, you know, top of this tower block, and it felt big uh, walking in that first day. And then, uh, yeah, and then it's probably just like funding rounds and the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much it. But yeah, so 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 the US, how how much of a role does that play in your business, and how you finding that? Yeah, America's big part of the future. Mm. I would say it's a smallish part of our revenues at the moment. It's probably about five percent of our. Our international revenue, like outside of Europe, should we say, is twenty percent of the company's like annual recurring revenue. Uh, America's about five percent of, of of that. So, um, so today it's been like smallish and like I would say organic. Like as yeah. uh, companies in North America have found us, or we've been referred by partners. They started uh, on the Peak platform. It's the biggest single market for enterprise software. Mm. So 
we do see, our, see it as a big part of the future. And then we're growing quite fast in India as well. So like we, we're going east and west uh, wow. in that, in that at the regard. same time. So yeah, which is probably you know <laughs> so going back I to the whole energy. Yeah, I wouldn't advise <laughs> I it. I wouldn't advise it for everyone. But because we we see ourselves as an Indian company as well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's given it's given us that ability to to do that. You know, like uh, Atul's there. He can mm-hmm. he's running that part of the business. Well, he's like the sort of MD of that side of things, and we've got sales and. So you're still doing the data about. science piece from Manchester for India, or are you going to put those? No, out? we've got a data science team right. in. Uh, so we've got three offices in India now, wow. actually. So we've got uh, Jai- Jaipur is still our main yeah. engineering hub, Pune, which has become a sort of data science and customer success hub, and then a sales office in Mumbai. Um, you, so yeah. You, so last year I left Sochi, like India was the number one place I wanted to move to. Yeah. Mumbai is like crazy. I'd love, I'd love to just part of my life spend <laughs> spend out there. What yeah, advice cool. would you give founders who wanted to get into India? Because it feels to me like a real, diff, you know, challenging market. We're lucky, right? At all, yeah. as a co-founder, has unlocked a lot of that for us. But I think if we didn't have that, you'd have to be sort of working through the sort of uh, DIT and the international trade. Isn't, like, it, isn't it crazy how like one person, yeah, one person, you know, can unlock that, can unlock yeah. it, and mm. totally, it's you know, it comes back to like you know, we spoke, we speak to founders quite a lot of times around. I have no idea how people do it as a single founder. Yeah, I, I have no idea. No That's idea. one of my biggest pieces of advice when I meet single founders is like... Panic inter- founder. Yeah. yeah. And drill into yeah. that quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and check. I think there are some people who are strong as single founders. I've met a guy recently, actually, who one of our investors has just invested in and really strong, a um, bit younger than me and like quite knackered looking. Uh, and actually knackered and that you but like no co-founders and i just yeah. think that that having it's not even as a ceo you're always going to be under the cosh i think like every you could think about anything it's really you need to compartmentalize and manage that well but like with co-founders you can offload stuff yeah. specific tasks but also just cognitive load chatting yeah. whatever it is I, yeah. I don't i couldn't have done it yeah. on my own we yeah. all like co-founders don't we it's we been like, a massive yeah. part of our success i yeah. think yeah. and we've yeah. got one thing we speak to and when we look when we look for investments and we just like <laughs> it's just it's so i could just, i can't comprehend yeah doing it alone yeah yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> well, I, it like, depends on your personality as well. Like I wouldn't find it as fun. Like it's no, not no, a personal it's, pursuit. It's, it's like a team, a team yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. but it's you know, coming back to it, you know, one hire, one co-founder, one decision. Yeah, you know, with Atul. Yeah, there's a lot of entire market for you. Yeah, and yeah. That was that's the decision made day one. You know, you guys came together day one, and so it goes to show the the journey from business. It starts at day zero. You know, yeah. It doesn't start at <clears throat> when you're twenty people. Those decisions. You know, fundamentally, you guys had such a competitive advantage to unlock an entire global business yeah. by making yeah, the I right think people. So. Yeah. I think that that's another thing that plays into like advice I normally give, which is to try and write that vision down. Like where, and people say it, like, where do you see the business in three years? Where do you see it in five years? But people often like keep that in their heads. They don't really write down what they really want to do. And I think sometimes if you if you can force yourself to be bold enough to write it down mm. and talk about it, you make different decisions earlier, which unlock things in ways that like they they don't become subconscious decisions that just open stuff up like that. They they become like conscious decisions mm. that you're in control of, mm. um, which yeah, I think, yeah. makes it much easier as well. Because then essentially going to America, which is your biggest market, is yeah. your third market. Yeah, so you've yeah. had a, you've had kind of the geographical experience yeah. of managing remote teams. You've yeah. had the 
structural challenges are probably you know thinking what you need to hire when and where yeah, yeah. and that experience then because a lot of people we we did us our second market yeah. we had to learn to make those mistakes in the us yeah. right which is a lot more expensive yeah and new york as well right and new york yeah yeah which is a lot more expensive and you know if just some of the basic decisions about going into a new market are unified mm. you know you can make similar decisions once you've kind of understood how the team can be structured what services you need where and when and like we had to make all those mistakes in the us like it was very expensive. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, smart. So, how do you co-founders take time and space to think creatively about the future and, and think about strategy? Do you, I don't know if you guys found this, but I go. I, it sort of ebbs and flows for me. Like, depends on how well the business. Is. Like, if the business is trading well, you, like you, you're hitting all your numbers. <laughs> you can breathe a bit. You start to think about like, oh yeah, yeah. So carry that line on, and in two years' time, and you start to imagine that sort of stuff. And as soon as you have a wobble, like customer churn or something like that, you're straight into the sort of operational i find it really difficult to context switch um between sort of strategic and mm. uh operational and and, and uh, early on i was quite good at that you know could do a morning on like in one way and an afternoon in another but these days it feels so like it's either an operational day or a strategic day almost and yeah. understanding the for me anyway i think in a lot of the strategic stuff the bigger we've got is driven by me not yeah. the actual what are we going to do or how are we going to do it but triggering those conversations if i don't get the team to sit down and say right this is a strategy day like put the phones and the laptops away and we're going to meet off-site like it doesn't you don't do it yeah. because there's so much the, the operation's so big you can easily just dip into slack check your inbox you get go where your comfort zone mm, is mm. so i i you have to really force yourself to do it like the yeah. bigger you get i think um that's yeah and then yeah, and then, and then it's just yeah. What what does the typical day in the life of a founder or a CEO yeah. look like? Really, a lot of it is it has to be operational. Yeah. Um, if you don't do the basics right, the strategy is yeah. yeah. You know, I'm going agree, and I think the the openness you've got is is you know very clear to see. Um, and obviously, you know, URP can peak as you mm. as well as the, the other founders. Yeah. At one point, that's not going to be true. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know how how do you see that as a founder differentiating yourself in the long term because yeah. you know, <clears throat> you've got a whole life ahead of you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you found managing yourself personally in your future and what who you are yeah, and what me. you stand for versus peak and everything you've put into that? That's an interesting, that's a great question. And I think the bigger we've got, the more I've started to think about that. I think I read somewhere recently that like, you know, as a founder, you've got like three, there's, there's sort of three things that come with being a founder. Like you've got, any, you've got a role, a job, founder title is an honorary one. And it also usually comes with a sort of shareholding too. So you're a share, you're a shareholder. You've got an honorary title and you've got a job. And if you park the two and you focus on the job, are you the best person to do that job at any one given point in time? Like right now, I think I am the best person to be peak CEO. But if that ever changed, then that would be a conversation I would be open to having. Like there might be someone better for a different stage trying to achieve something. I don't know. Your own identity is very intertwined with the company you founded and the company you lead. So yeah, I've been, I've started doing a few other things, like uh, like to to occupy my mind. Not that my mind needs occupied, but like just thinking about what would I do in ten, fifteen years time if it wasn't this. So um, working with some of our investors, like mentoring other uh, CEOs that they're that they're investing in, helping out on DD, giving it, you know, yeah, give, giving back a little bit, and then sort of keeping their network open for if there was a time when I thought, right, okay, 
uh, I don't know, could be burnt out, could not want to do it anymore, could like, I don't know. Um, but it's good to, it's good to sort of keep your mind open to like the idea that you could be doing something else at some point because personal success and professional success are like, yeah. if they're too interlinked, then like the stakes are high anyway, like yep. you said, like you don't want to make it about your entire life as well yeah. as your business. <laughs> yeah. so. Sure, identity at the end of the day, right? Yeah, Which yeah. Is, you know, we talk a lot about that, we especially do, yeah. when people exit and like, who are they after then? Yeah, that must know? be tough, I think. Yeah. yeah so and we, you guys are both that's in what, that that's situation. How we, that's how we started speaking, really. Yeah. You know, coming out of, we, you left in May. Yeah. yeah. And after in August and we, then we were kind of like in this, floating off in this <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> Who are we? Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to be when I grow up. It's a bit like being a, I don't know, a professional footballer or a sports person yeah. or something. Like when you re- and that's at a young age. Like what I, do you do after that? Yeah, because I went, I dropped out of university and I to do this, and, and I've never had that moment where right. I've had uncertainty in my own life. Mm. You know, social shame was just like a journey, and then you come out of the journey and you go, honestly so um yeah i mean i, I wish i had more foresight and forward planning than, than you know you seem to have yeah very inspiring yeah. do you see professional and personal summits completely different now um you managed to make that yeah i think so i yeah. mean i have two little kids uh two boys and my wife and i've got like a lot of common interests that aren't anything to do with peak so <laughs> uh, on, she has one we both um, try to play a big part in local community, yeah. um, believe a lot in sort of uh, social uh, social issues, social justice, social equality, and then also like environmental um, sort of impact. And there's plenty that we could do um, at some point. Thanks, Richard. Really, really enjoyed that chat. I think it was um, definitely up there, one of, our, one of our best discussions. And we wish you the best on kind of the next, the next chapter. Um, and I guarantee we'll both be watching and admiring and cheering on from the side because you know we know what it takes and we wish you guys all the best of success so thank you for listening and um, if you get the opportunity please like share and subscribe to the podcast and tune in for more great discussions with other um, adventurers